This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Arman Shraki. Each week, Arman will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS Scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's q r v e y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Skilled. Um, I'm pleased to be here with Michael Katz, a CEO and co-founder of MParticle. This is another very organic, casual talk with another software leader, and hopefully you can relate to it and uh, you can join us when we publish on social media by your comments, questions. We will be happy to hear from you and answer your questions there. Um, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy Friday. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you started the company, what the company is about, and what is the secret sauce or the idea behind them particles. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, so MParticle is a customer data platform. Um, so we help large consumer brands um, unify, cleanse, transform their customer data. So the artifact that's created as a um, direct result of interactions between their customers, uh, their audience, not just customers, but their entire audience and their like digital properties. Um, bring that in, um, organize it, unify it, cleanse it, um, turn the raw data into insights, give them um, greater context in terms of what their customers are, are doing, maybe where there's weakness or leverage in the customer journey, help them create hypotheses and build predictions, and then um, set those insights into into action to drive growth, create um, personalized, adaptive experiences that uh, that everybody has kind of come to expect out of, um, out of leading brands. And so uh, MParticle's been around for, for 10 years. Um, this is the second company that I've uh, co-founded along with my brother, Andrew. The first one was in the ad tech space, a company called Interclick. Took, took it public, Yahoo bought us. Um, learned a lot about helping customers leverage data, first party and third party data to drive campaign and business results. Um, and then, um, yeah, stayed at Yahoo for about a year and then left to, to start MParticle. And so where we've been focused as a company for the past I don't know, um, eight years, nine years or so prior um, was really around helping um, our customers solve like this data wrangling problem. There's more consumer platforms than ever before, creating more data than, than ever before. You have 
you've had this explosion of, of SaaS tools and, and applications. And so you have data kind of going all over the place inside most organizations. And then you throw privacy into the mix and a number of the policy changes from Apple and Google and things just get chaotic. So helping them kind of like tame their data chaos. But look, the I think the AI revolution is, is here. Um, I think we're kind of beyond that, well beyond like the hype cycle into like the, um, what do they call it? Like the trow of like despair. Um, and I think like, we're kind of like reemerging and there's, and there's a ton of excitement around, around AI. The, the tricky thing, um, about AI is that it does benefit the entrenched, right? The companies that have the, the resources, including the, the data infrastructure, um, the, 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 the data assets, um, uh, and, um, the data engineers, right. Um, they have an inherent advantage over, over everybody else. So much of like what we're focused on today is democratizing access to the, to the same sets of tools and resources used by the largest companies in the world, whether that's like Facebook, Google, Netflix, you name it, and giving that, providing that access to really everybody else. Fantastic. And then um, as part of that, of course, then you are building a lot of data around data and this kind of metadata is getting more sophisticated. You have a smarter model and over time, that's really the intelligence of the system that you are increasing as you're adding more to it. Uh, how would you see that, for example, as you are doing this and providing a more intelligent data around customers and not just customers, as you said, the audience and the business can make better decision. Um, it can also, uh, grow to the point that, uh, then you see there are kind of data to the level that maybe you need to analyze it differently. Maybe it's too much data or you haven't got to that point that data become the kind of, you know, that kind of problem that the scalability and the data size and the level of the data, the amount of data you need to analyze and all of those become a kind of bottleneck or a problem or challenge for you guys, or you have reached there and you have been able to solve that problem and scale. No, I, you know, a lot of these challenges with, uh, with data, um, even if you think you've solved it, um, that, that state doesn't persist, right? Um, there's always challenges, right? And you can get all the way kind of deep into the weeds in terms of like data quality and, you know, what happens when things change and how do you, how do you address the cascading set of consequences as things change without like having everything break. Um, but I, I think to your point, like there, there is an abundance of, of data, right? Like there is more data being created and consumed than ever before. Teams are drowning in data. What they, what they're not drowning in is talent, right? In, in, in the resources that can, um, can model it and derive insights from it and then put those insights into, into action. Um, and I think that's where we see a huge opportunity is in kind of like helping 
bridge that divide between the haves and, and have nots so that you don't get this huge chasm that exists between the largest companies in the world and, and everybody else. Like it's important to level the playing field. And like I mentioned, it's, it really comes down to, to three things. It's, it's like the, the size and qual- quality of your data set. It's um, the, the data infrastructure that you have and then it's the resources. And, and there's a lot that can be automated. And so through automation, we can up-level existing resources for companies and help make them just be more strategic so they're not kind of constantly in the muck. That's great. So because I know that this is a problem for many companies, too much data but not enough insight and actions to take. So essentially you're solving that problem by saying that this is all the data you have. It can be overwhelming, but hey, this is really the right data to look at. This is the right action to take. And this is the automation that can help you to actually make better insight and better action driven by that data. Uh, yeah. By getting smarter about really your data and understanding your data and the relationship between these entities. Now, talking on the other side of the scalability and the scaling, not just the data and the analytics and everything that you have and serving more data and more customers, but also scaling on the business side. You have grown the company to a good side during this time. And as we you know, all know, creating something from nothing is very challenging, especially at the beginning, it's a lot of work to get oh. there. And then you get to the phase that now I created the foundation, but now the, the other problem now face that you face the other issue that now I need to scale it. Now I have the minimum function there, but how to make it really a scale. Um, what is your journey? You have done it twice. How does it look like? What is the best way that you would see, you know, it's the best way to approach it based on the experience you have for the SaaS companies listening to you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And you mentioned like I have done it twice. I don't know if I learned anything the first time around. I feel like most of most of my views are based on my experience here at Unparticle. Um, and I think what, what I've seen, especially as the company's gotten bigger and bigger, is that businesses are just systems, right? Not in the technical sense, but in the in the more classical sense. Um, and so there's a number of inputs and there's an output. So for B2B SaaS company, the output that we're trying to drive is, is revenue and, you know, revenue growth and more specifically efficient revenue growth, right? Like, like everybody. Um, and in order to do that, you can't just, you know, like a, like a sports team, you can't just say like, Hey, I want to show up and win. What are the things that you're going to do to put yourself in a position to, to win now in any system? like the dynamics that kind of govern the overall quality of the output is like, what's the, what's the communication? What's the interactions between the different nodes within the, within the system? How do you like, what are the, what are the processes? Like, are there kind of clear roles and, and responsibilities? What are the, um, what are the incentives that, that end up um, either driving or reinforcing behavior? Um, I think, at Interclick, my first company, I thought of operations as just like, it was almost like this Ouija board where like everybody kind of just like did a bunch of stuff and the 
the thing moved, but I wasn't really sure like who was in control or like who was moving the Ouija board. And um, I think I have this realization probably about like five years or so ago. Um, you need you need to make sure that you have um, a number of like really important subsystems kind of stacked up, right? Like there's levels. And I think within any organization, like probably like the, the most foundational system is your values system, right? Because that is like the default thing that everybody, like for me, values are like the thing that people need or the behaviors that people need to default to in times of uncertainty or ambiguity, if they think nobody's looking or if they think somebody's looking whatever right like it all kind of starts there but on top of that you have like your information system right which is how is the business um how is it instrumented so that the team or teams can make high quality repeatable decisions right and then you have your kind of like business operating systems on, on top of that right and i'm kind of skipping some levels but only once you have like the kind of foundation built can then you start to get into the okay now what's the what's the process how do i get information from here to here to here how do i make sure that the information is communicated how do i make sure that the information is received and understood right so like packets have to be sent packets have to be received um and making sure that like those those things happen consistently and that's where you get into um kind of like rules of engagement with like meetings and meeting structure and always having to to set an agenda and how to how to engage as as a company one of the things that we've seen um to be like critically important is always starting any discussion around an important decision from the standpoint of like core principles, right? What are we actually trying to solve for? What do we believe? Stating things that would ultimately serve as a tiebreaker if you have like two or more very good and and different paths, right? Because when you can start to make the implicit explicit, right? And say, hey, this is what we're solving for. And you spend time on that then you don't get a lot of miscommunication or um, unhealthy conflict because people usually get kind of wrapped up in like the tactics. Um, and, and, and lots of people have different views on kind of the, like the best set of tactics to pursue, but they're starting from different places in terms of like what they're actually trying to solve for. And so it's like, let's, let's not start there. Let's start from the standpoint of like, here's here's the direction i'm going and then work towards towards that yeah not losing the north star essentially and having the north star in your mind all the time but also you mentioned that there are some values and those values and principle i wonder if those values and principle can also help you to say these are the right people for the company or the other way around the people in the company are the ones that would define those values, or it's a little bit of both. There is no one. It's, it's you know, I think it, and then build. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're, I mean, you bring up a, a great point that I think I think about, and, you know, I know a bunch of entrepreneurs think about it is, it is a little bit chicken and egg. Um, I do think it's important to declare your values up front. Um, I do believe values should be revisited probably every two years, right? Um, Look, startups change so dramatically every six months, right? If I think back to how we were six months ago, like we're completely different. And I think back to six months prior and it's like, whoa, this is a, an entirely different company. Um, we, we've like, we learn so much, like we process so much information. We drive new conversations and so much innovation. And it's just like, you can't over-rotate to like, you know, a, a, a yearly values reset but maybe like 18 months every maybe two years and I do think that like as you start to have operating history that's when you can start to incorporate are the values that I've declared are they still helping serve me accomplish in in accomplishing the goals that I wish to accomplish and some things will and some things you will naturally grow out of because as companies get out of that like seed phase it's not just about like survival so for example for us one of our earliest values was like just get shit done like don't worry about anything else because we were fighting for our survival like we had to make stuff happen and we couldn't worry about leaving a trail of broken glass like we would we would we would clean that up in the in in the after hours it was just like let's let's make it happen you get to some level of scale and that becomes um a somewhat to very unhealthy way of operating the how ends up mattering more right and companies go through like many many evolutions um and the people within them have to go through kind of many, many evolutions, right? Um, and so I think it's always good to to say, to take stock of the things that you're doing and saying like, what's what's helping me and what's what are the things that maybe I've grown out of? Uh, now, being in data and analytic world, and then especially during his time, that AI is coming to life now, finally, I can remember when I was a kid, every magazine I was opening, the science magazines, this kind of technology magazines, they were talking about when you speak with someone, you can't see that person. I'm talking about 40, 50 years ago. And I was like, ah, that's cool. And then I got, you know, a little bit older and older. It never happened. And yeah. until finally the iPhone came to market and then that happened overnight that you could call anyone you want and FaceTime. And that was really the first time that in a very, not just in a conference, very, you know, in a very particular, in a big company sitting in a conference room, but everybody person could really go there and just do the kind of, you know, video conferencing. And that now we take it for granted. Now we are at the age that this kind of technologies, artificial intelligence technologies are coming to the point that finally, after so many years talking about them, then we get to the point that we see that they are actually working. It's real. You can't really go there and just, you know, sit. How do you see from a company that is dealing with customers' data, with data, with analytics, 
what is the impact that you see that is going to happen, uh, you know, in, in foreseeable future, in the next maybe five years? Yeah, so there's um, multiple fields within within AI. Um, obviously, the ones the one like kind of generate uh, like the one dominating the headlines is like generative AI, right? Um, and that stuff is super cool. I think that that's that's going to be transformative, and it's and it's quite frankly really exciting to see the the rate of of, of progress, the rate of change. Um, I think that along those lines that AI will accelerate the rate of change dramatically. And I think that, um, you know, that's going to create, uh, challenges. It's also going to create opportunities. Um, when we look at, um, either one over whatever kind of, we want to define as like the existing baseline, the baseline would be like organic intelligence or like people driven insights the the problem with humans is like when we rely on like intuition and and gut or if we rely on like loose heuristics a lot of the times like we're i mean we're we're flawed like we have uh limited compute capacity as as humans um we have this database of experience like we have this data warehouse of experiences in our in our brain which are kind of like everything that's that that's happened over the course of our lifetime which is like kind of makes up our subconscious brain but we can't always recall the right things or the right the things that happened the, the, the right way right um and when you start getting into very large data sets that have um, high dimensionality, we just like we can't we can't process the things that a computer can, right? And so, I think you know one of the things that's that's going to happen um, is we're going to go from this point where like a lot of like the the manual probably maybe potentially highly flawed work that that people do especially in like the realm of marketing and advertising and personalization and customer experience um i think we're going to be able to remove a lot of like the the human error and bias um we should be able to automate things and make them much more objective like imagine if you could tap into everything that you experience in your life that's kind of stored in your subconscious having that accessible in real time um in a kind of fully objective capacity there's like infinite possibilities right um and so i think the i think the the first effect is um it should provide an opportunity for um, really smart, creative, thoughtful people to get out of the, you know, low value add activity and be more strategic. Right. Um, but I also think with that, I think it will bring to light the, a, a number of people who may 
exist in the friction of processes that can get smoothed out and, and automated. And those skills aren't necessarily defensible to, to, to begin with, right? Um, so I think it's going to benefit a lot of people. I think it's also, um, I think it's a threat to to some people if if they're not committed to continuing to to grow and learn and approach the world with uh, a genuine sense of, of curiosity. So let's imagine there is company A and company B. Company A uses a particles and and particle and company B does not leverage that technology or any similar technology, right? So in that case, company A has some intelligence or can do something better, faster with regard to their customer data that company B does not. Yeah, right, totally. Now, yeah. if you have M particle powered by AI, and that's option, maybe a different option now, then a company comes in and say, okay, now I'm using this M particle plus that is really doing way faster, better, more intelligent and get things done. Is there any particular type of, for example, users that in your case, in that end particle plus can benefit more, or maybe some users who really don't need to work with the software anymore because software can do that part, or there are particular companies that would be better suited to really go with end particle plus that are first candidates for that release yeah. in your mind. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. Um, but I I don't think that there's necessarily um, a way to seg- segment like who of our customers would be better suited for using what I I believe to be are like an improved set of capabilities. I guess you have a a manual driven heuristics oriented approach on one side. And you have an AI-powered approach on on the other, right? And I think like a halfway decent analogy is like, do you want to drive the car or feel like you're driving the car, or do you want to just kind of set it set it to autopilot? At least like in a world where like all that stuff has been fairly perfected, and you don't have to worry about the car veering off the side of the road, right? Um, and you know, for, for either one, I don't know if there's like a right or wrong answer. I don't think it's necessarily one versus the other. I think it can be a combination of, of the two. Sometimes human intuition does win, right? Um, especially when we're talking like creative output, um, like generative AI, like chat GPT, um, could have never come up with like Nike's just do it campaign. Right. It doesn't have that. Right. So you still need that human intuition to create um, to create statements that stand out from the average of everything that gets kind of like dumped into the to the data blender. Right. Um, At the end of the day, though, I think you bring up the, the most important point, which is companies that build a really strong foundation uh, of, of first party data and use that to get close and stay close to their customers and provide them better experiences those are the 
companies that are going to win. Now, the companies that can do that and create those feedback loops and improve their processes and systematize their business with high quality information and automate what gets repeated, those are the companies that are going to win of, of the winners, right? They're going to be the, the breakout companies. McDonald's is one of our, our larger customers. Um, and I think, you know, I, I saw on, on social media a number of times this week, they're at an all-time high in terms of enterprise value. Um, and it's not just, you know, from, from more sales, it's that, that there's, there's multiple expansion, right? And a lot of it is driven by automation and intelligence. Um, and I'm not saying like we are solely responsible for that, but I think that we have helped play a part in that. So the, the, the proof points are, they're out there. You know, I was very impressed with a resort recently. I was there in Lake Tahoe area. The whole time, I was just communicating with a text box. Yeah. Right? So the, 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 the entity on the other side was not a real person. But we had a great time, you know, chatting with each other, right? So help me to make a reservation, ask me if I have any problem. If I needed anything, you know, that chatbot was helping me with that very quickly, very easily. And then the whole process was done. I checked out. I got out of there. My best friend was that virtual guy. Totally. Yeah, within within some, like, relatively well-defined boundaries, those things are, like, amazing. If you need to kind of go outside the boundary, then, then it breaks down, right? Yeah. But for the what, maybe 80, 90% of the use cases, yeah, why do you need a human on the other end, right? Set up a set of rules, um, especially if you have um, the ability to do natural language processing and you can build these linguistic models, like, ab absolutely. Like, because, you know, about you, for me, I would much rather text anybody, whether that's like a, a, a friend or... A restaurant or whatever then have to pick up the phone and and talk to somebody yeah well that's amazing absolutely um i do remember a friend of us uh, came to our offices and realized i didn't realize it i even didn't realize it he looked around and said you guys don't have a phone you <laughs> just looking around there is no phone on the on the desks yeah, we realized, right. I mean, we never noticed it, but there is no folks on the desk. Because yeah. as you say, everybody is just communicating through slacks and through messages and text and everything. But that's, uh, you know, the, the way it, it's changing uh, things. So, Amen. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember that too. I think it was probably, well, when we started in Particle, it was 2013. And we got our first office shortly thereafter. And we had to get like a phone system. I think by like 2015, I said, we got to get rid of the phone system. People just use their, their laptops, their, their cell phones. We need to reimburse people for, you know, some portion of like their, their cell phone plan. Great. Let's do it. But like, why, why do we need these like big clunk, clunky phone? I don't have a, a landline in, in my home. Like, I feel like most people don't like the, the, the landline telephone has kind of gone the way of, uh, the record player ancient back in nowadays yeah yeah exactly exactly uh, so um 
Michael, I'd like to ask you to recommend a book that you liked. It might be in your professional life or you liked the book just, you know, personally you liked it and it was impactful. Uh, or it may be some books, whatever. So is there any particular, uh, you know, book that you would like to share with us and the audience? Um, you know, sticking with the, the theme of the importance of systematizing your your business, your operations, facilitating high quality, high speed information transfer and creating high quality interactions between the different people, nodes, groups, teams, whatever. Um, there's a book called Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal, which um, I recommend to a lot of people. And I think that if, um, if any of the shit that I've said today even resonates a little bit, um, I think you'll love that book. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining this podcast. Uh, I enjoyed the discussion. Hopefully, audience will enjoy it as well. And let's follow you on LinkedIn and we'll get in touch again. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ishragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.